if I start telling people about hell, I might just scare them off. Hello. Where are you going to scare them off to? Right. Hell number two? All right. Well, the intro's not working, so I guess we'll just start. Hey, this is Christopher <laughs> Burn, and this is Amazing Machinations, episode four. Today we have Gary Wayne with us, and but before we get into the talk, I am going to, you know, do some promotions here. And if you don't know about us, we are on Parlor, the non-racist website that everybody's trying to say it's racist. Everybody's on there, liberals, um, conservatives, and all. So we're on there too. If you want to check it out, it's at Don't Let Them Burn One Word, as you see there on the screen. And also, we um, have a Teespring store. Let me get that load for a second, where you can get uh, shirts, mugs, whatnot. And um, I think that you are going to enjoy putting some of these things on and promoting uh, godly things. As we as it loads here, we, we have the God is holy. We have the shirts front only. And um, we have a few, oh, this one right here. A couple of people at my church was wearing this uh, surprisingly the other day and uh, it came out pretty nice, man. So if you wanna check out uh, the Righteous Are Bold, um, you can check that out. And also I have the one called Amazing Grace. It's more typography and whatnot. Whatever suits your, your liking, this is our Teespring store. So without further ado and stuff, you can check us out on don't let them burn.com, uh, Facebook, Twitter. We're now on Rumble, um, uploading videos on Rumble. We're also on BitChute. Wherever you need to find us, we are there and getting away from all the censorship. So, Gary, how are you doing? Sounds good. Uh, I've been uh, asked by a lot of people to go on to Parlor, and I wasn't even familiar with it up to about a week or so ago. So, um, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I'm taking it. Uh, it's like a Twitter, like a Twitter feed, but not the censorship. Is kind of how I understand it. Right. Is that right? Yes, and better. Uh, you can say more. Um, yeah. Everything's better about it. Everything's better. excellent. I'll check right. it out. Yeah. So, um, how are you doing today, man? Um, Want to get into some deep stuff? Yeah, I'm doing fine, and uh, really looking forward to topics we're going to talk about today because I know secret societies have uh, a lot of uh, interest out there, but there's so much misinformation about them in terms of who's in control and how many different groups and do they work together? Are they on the same page? It's just uh, an endless list of questions. So hopefully we can answer some of those today. Oh, absolutely. And, um, you know, we have bloodlines and all this stuff, but I'm going to let you lead us. Uh, for those that don't know about Gary this is his book, The Genesis 6 Conspiracy, how secret societies and descendants of giants plan to enslave humankind. All right. Thick book. So you got a lot of information in there. You chose, you choose what you um, want to hang on to and whatever. So the research has been done. And uh, without further ado, let's let's get into it, sir. Yeah, one, one of the things I like about talking about secret societies is that it is directly related to giants in prehistory in ways that people probably aren't all that aware of. So I kind of like to preface the discussion for people that if you want to understand the hierarchy of the secret societies, 
what they're doing and what their agenda is, you need to understand the bloodlines of the Rephaim and the Nephilim as they would understand it in terms of they being the people who created secret societies and what their relationship is. Because you can't understand the hierarchy, you can't understand what's going on in those secret societies unless you understand the religion that went along with the giants and the fallen angels and has been adopted and proliferated through the help of secret societies throughout our history. So yeah. to understand that, you need to understand the Nephilim of Genesis 6. And again, if you want to understand prophecy, I think you need to understand prehistory so that you can understand the context and a lot of the metaphors that come up in prophecy. So that's the first thing I like to make a, preference, uh, a reference to is that you have to understand the bloodlines and the connection to the Nephilim if you want to understand secret societies because you have basically two halves. You have a top half and you have a bottom half. And the top half is controlled by what they call the Royal Masons. It's the bloodlines. Mm -hmm. And all of the organizations go up like a tree trunk up into these higher levels of secret societies. And then you have like, if you can imagine a tree and in their imagery, the world tree, as opposed to a pyramid. Yeah. And you have these branches coming up like on an evergreen tree that sort of come down and like this and they will intersect with all of these branches going out of different organizations and they'll intersect back into the trunk of the tree with those central uh, trunk organizations sort of being the go-to organizations and then the higher you go on the tree of course the higher you go on the hierarchy scales so you have to understand how that works so that you can look at who is reporting to who and how everything sort of operates because depending on who you're going to talk to you're going to people are going to tell you freemasonry is the top of the food chain or the illuminati is or the jesuits or the knights of saint john everybody has a different theory as to who is in charge of all of these organizations but they're missing out the key component that sets out that hierarchy so those are some of the things that i think we should be talking about today Okay, yeah. Um, and of course, we go into the spiritual realm and all this stuff, uh, the, the principalities over each organization and whatnot, you know, who yeah. they worship. You know, some some people, uh, you have, uh, not to take you off course here, we'll probably get into this later, but like Jabulon in the Freemasonry, um, you have obviously Lucifer, and also some some uh, Mephistopheles, <laughs> all these little names uh, that most people don't know. Well, sure. And if you understand that you have a council of gods, and that's pro probably numbered by the number of the nations, which was 70 in Deuteronomy 32, both before and after the flood, as per the number of the sons of uh, Jacob in Israel and the amount of patriarchs listed in uh, the Table of Nations in Genesis 10 and First Chronicle for the Table of Nations. So you have these gods and these throne rooms that are uh, centered right from the top down in the various pantheons. And of course, they're all coming together into the Council of Gods where they're represented and led by Satan. But as you come down into the di different countries and how, and how those original nations would extend it and set up new royal bloodlines and new dynasties, they're going to have new throne rooms and they're going to have 
that hierarchy sort of set up there as well. well you, you can imagine that same sort of infrastructure in the secret societies. So when you look at a Freemasonry temple, for example, you're going to have that checker stone floor. And then you're yeah. going to have those two pillars and you're going to have this throne room. While each of those levels of government have angels from their hierarchy being represented and in guiding these particular uh, lodges or organizations. And so Freemasonry is probably, you know, the most organized with the sort of branches and lodges and things. And so, you know, if you're going to be, let's say what they would call, you know, a grandmaster, that's more of a district manager of Freemasonry overseeing a number of lodges, you're going to have to be higher than third degree. You're going to have to be minimum fifth degree in the old York Rite. Third degree in the York Rite is equivalent, for those who don't know, uh, to 33rd degree in the Scottish Rite. So you have two different formats of the hierarchy in Freemasonry, but the adept level is 33rd degree Scottish Rite, 33rd degree York Rite, which is the older, York Rite is the older standard three degrees into adepthood. But those degrees go much higher. Uh, some people say seven, some people say nine. I've heard as many as as 13, and some people say more. Uh, but those are reserved for the purebloods. Those are reserved for the royal bloodlines. And they are initiated into those degrees from childhood. And so they yeah. can be higher than a third degree or 33rd degree Freemason when they're still in their teens, but they can't be called an adept or a 33rd degree adept. Sometimes you'll hear them called a 32nd degree adept. So unless they're just falsifying how that structure works, what they're saying is, is I'm a pureblood and I can't accept an adept title until I'm a certain age, which is closer to 30 years old. But the understanding is, is that those purebloods will go very, very deep into the mysteries. And so it's the purebloods that are going to operate the top end of the tree, as we talked about in the first place. But the key is that they're all worshipping a polytheist pantheon of gods. Yeah. And, it's, and the ones they're worshipping is how it comes down in that hierarchical structure that is replicated in the fallen angel or the god structure so you'll have you know let's say satan will be at the top with his own throne room like he will have watchers he will have seraphim watchers uh, which are uh you know the the serpent face and you will have the cherubim and you'll have the ophanium and ophanium is the word for wheel in hebrew that shows up in ezekiel that's the one in the throne that's they're, they're a little bit different than the true room. They actually have one face that's different. So each of those thrones will have, as they go down the hierarchy, will have uh, of the gods going to have a similar throne room mm -hmm. around the world as those council of nations fans out. And then they're duplicated on earth with their bloodline offspring, which are the kings and the queens and their noble elite. So if you can imagine that black and white checkered floor in front of uh, most Masonic temples in the floor in their throne room area. Uh, and you can imagine many of the throne rooms of the world have that checkered floor. You have 
their representatives or demigod descendants on the throne representing the god and the goddess as the king and the queen. The two bishops are representing the uh, religious aspect. Then you have the two knights that are representing the archangels and or the mighty warriors that fought and or the nobility that were on chariots and or the knights in, uh, let's say, the knights templar and into the age of chivalry. They moved away from chariots and onto, onto horses and were called knights. And the rooks are these fortresses or, or these mighties that uh, they defended their, in history, they defended their great cities and their pentapolis city-states that they set up. You know, Philistines had five city-states, or King Og had 60 cities, so he had 12 sets of city-states, and he ruled from two different cities. One he lived in, one he worshipped in, Edrai and, uh, and uh, Ashtaroth, as I recall. This is Sion had two cities as well, Heshbon and Aror. And so these are, this is what is set up on earth as we see it. And of course the knights represent the military aspect and report up to the archangels. So the religious aspect and the bishops and the uh, kings, they would report up to the seraphim watchers. And then you have the pawns up front, which are the foot soldiers and basically the humans and they're sent out for fodder as part of the war where the noble elite are sitting in the background leading uh, the troops. So if you can imagine that, that's the infrastructure that they use throughout the world in terms of how they set things up. Yeah. Okay. So, and pretty much it's been mimicked over and over again. Um, and of course, you know, you, you mentioned the bloodlines earlier. And I want to be clear for people that these, these, um, People that follow these bloodlines, they, they try to in, intermingle with themselves in ancestral uh, practices there. So they want to keep their bloodline pure because of um, where whatever line they think they come from. Um, yes, and and will graft in or scion bloodlines in to increase their nobleness. And the purer the bloodline and the most ennobled that goes back to the highest order of the fallen angels and the Rephaim and the Nephilim kings as they take their genealogies back is where they will fit in the hierarchy of the Masonic bloodlines. Yeah. And it's important. Uh, so they're always trying to intermarry to ennoble more of their bloodline. So we're coming together in two major houses, which everybody is probably familiar with one would be the Merovingians who were the most ennobled bloodlines of that time mm -hmm. and later with the Stuarts with the unicorn dynasty so you have those two as good examples in terms of how they've been intermarrying throughout the history and continue to intermarry to keep those bloodlines as pure and ennobled as possible and the newer people coming into Masonic societies are trying to position themselves to be able to have their offspring intermarry with pure bloodlines to raise the presence and position of their ongoing family in the future within that organizational structure. Okay. So now if you can imagine, go ahead. No, no, I'm just saying it's interesting how this, uh, this has been going on for so long, but you know, it's, it's just now, or maybe 20, 20 years ago, we started hearing about all this stuff, depending on who you're listening to. Yeah. 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 
Well, and, and, and now if you can imagine that you have Freemasonry, which is basically at the bottom of the hierarchy trunk. And of course, they would be dealing with a lot of the low-level clubs. And uh, so any of these clubs that are initiatory organizations will be managed by Freemasons who are sponsoring these other clubs. And there's thousands of these uh, seemingly charitable clubs. And they are, for the most part, doing good. They just don't understand that they're in a polytheist organizational structure and they're not adepts at that level and they're actually being run by Freemasons. So they, they will introduce new people and outer bloodlines back into the craft. You have to be invited, and as you move up, uh, depending on how your bloodline are or how much money you have will be as far as you can go, but you'll never get real far up the chain because you have to have that purity of the bloodline. So starting at about the third degree or the 33rd degree Scottish Rite and third degree York Rite, you have centered in there, which is the Illuminati which is the illuminated ones, and they're going into those higher degrees, so four, five, six, up, upwards in that level. And so Freemasonry reports to Illuminati. And then above that, you have the Rosicrucians. And the Rosicrucians are that intersection between the Royal Mason orders and the lower orders. So the upper half of the Rosicrucians are purebloods. And the lower half are the ones that are rising through those lower ranks. And then you'll have above that, you have the start of the true pureblood organizations as you move up that trunk. So above that is as you're going to have the Committee of 300. And that's an interesting sort of point where you have that intersection because you have organizations like the Jesuits that also include the Italian black nobility, and that's another name for the bloodlines, okay. the black nobility, and or rex deus. Uh, and there's, there's, I would say there's two different levels of each. There's the sort of the local regional one, and, and in this case, the black nobility of Italy, which would be part of the larger black nobility of Europe, right? So there's mm -hmm. the sort of regional vernacular group, and then there's the larger group that they all belong into. And so the Jesuits report into the Rosicrucians and or the Committee of 300, depending on who you're talking to, because they... They were sponsored and started up by the Rosicrucians within the uh, Catholic order to replace the Templars who had fallen in 1307. And I'll mm. come back around to the Templars where they fit maybe in a few minutes. So the Committee of 300 also has, let's put that branch on the other side. Now you have like the Bilderberger organization that people Bill Gates and people go to. So you have at yeah. the top half of the Builder Burger organization of purebloods that come out of the committee of 300. And then you have the newer money, those who want to earn their place like Bill Gates for future generations to, to have their children intermarry into the bloodlines and have a higher position. They take their marching orders once a year back from what the purebloods will want. And the Club of Rome would spike into the same area, either into the top half of the Rosicrucians, depending on who you talk to, or to the Committee of 300. And this is the group that was created in the 60s 
to separate the world into 10 groups of nations or empires or trading blocks or spheres of influence, whatever you want to call them. Yeah. To help bring on when the universal religion was put into place, which is the religion of the secret societies, at least in terms of the religion and the dynasties that they want to put in place, um, that... Uh, will set up the end time 10 empire, which Daniel right. in Revelation talks about. Yeah. Okay. And then above the committee, so you can start to see how some of those branches would work. So you would have lower branches, let's say below the club of Rome, below the, uh, below the Bilderbergers that would be doing work for these groups as they go further out on that branch and back in. So you've got two different types of hierarchy as you go in like rivers and tributaries or estuaries, right? They kind of come in and branch out. And so above that, above the trunk center of the Committee of 300 um, is going to be the Council of 33. Mm -hmm. And that number goes back to the fall of the Knights Templar which would be sort of the Rosencrucians or the invisible ones, which the Rosencrucians have a name. And before they started to branch out the size of that organization, they're the ones who want, wanted to and then eventually did restart the Templars as Jesuits within the, within the, uh, the Catholic Church. So the Jesuits, although they have their own uh, separate agenda. They still have the report into the hierarchy. And then above the Council of Thirty-Three is the thirty is the thirteen families. That's the thirteen families of the West, as opposed to the global thirteen families that seemingly has the same sort of uh, name in different secret societies. So you can go over to China; they're loaded with secret societies. It's the yeah. same parallel <laughs> type of setup, right? And you have that mm -hmm. all around the world. So whether or not they're mafia gangs or their street gangs. These yeah. are the offshoots of that same sort of hierarchy that we've been talking about because they're all secret society initiatory organizations. KKK, you name the secret society, they're all being sponsored by the same people. And so within the 13 families, it's always the firstborn, which is the one that's going to represent the family. And then the second, third born and the females will go down the chain and be active in all of these branches down through the organization. So you need to understand the bloodlines to understand the hierarchy of the secret societies. And maybe I should go back and tell people why there's a relationship there because it starts in prehistory. Okay. So if you take Freemasonry's history as being masonry because freemasonry starts up after the fall of the templars and is uh begat by the st clairs who are the st clair family and i'll be touching on them before the end of the show okay. in okay. about the 1320s 1320s you know, late, you know just 1307 the templars fall you have and they they're started up with the escape of some of the that masters of the Knights Templar going off for safety into Scotland under the protection of Robert the Bruce, who had been excommunicated by the Roman Church at that point in time for killing his rival in a Catholic church, which they didn't look fondly upon for some reason. 
Um, so they're the ones who help them help Scotland actually win uh, their independence at Bannockburn. They're the ones who charge to the field, uh, not servants, but the actual Knights Templar, because they're, they're the most uh, well-trained army in the world at that time. So, and they surprised the the English, and that leads to their uh, independence. But where this history goes back to is to prehistory, and in prehistory. Freemasons, which are the Royal Masons, they take their history back to uh, the patriarchs of the Enochian, not the Enochian, the Cainite uh, genealogy. So Cain would be a patriarch for them, but not yep. the most important one. What they attribute Cain to is learning the knowledge Adam was taught in Eden. So we know Adam biblically wouldn't taught knowledge because he set up an agrarian society and all of the knowledge and technology that would be required to do that within Eden, he would have been taught by God. Yeah. And then that gets added to in Eden from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the fall. And so this is, a, and that's the tree of Gnosis, which is the root word for Gnosticism that they look at that tree as in polytheism or Gnosticism. So they say there's more knowledge there. Uh, and that that knowledge is all passed on from Adam to to uh, Abel and Cain. Of course, Cain gets killed. I mean, Abel gets killed. Cain gets ostracized, and then Cain has his first son Enoch. So there's two Enochs in Scripture. People need to be aware of that. One is the evil Enoch, and one is the the good Enoch, son of Jared. And but Enoch, son of Cain, is the second generation, and it's Enoch who this knowledge, according to the Masons, in their history, what they believe, in takes that knowledge and puts it into seven disciplines that they call the seven sacred sciences or the seven okay. liberal sciences that mm -hmm. we would call them today. And they're the same ones today. And that's why as you go down into the lineage of Cain, you get Lamech, which again, there's two Lamechs. One is on the Seth side and one is on the Cain side. Lamech of the Cain has four prominent offspring listed in Genesis and for a reason. So you have Nama, and you have Tubal, Tubal Cain, and you have Jabal and Jabal. And they're there for a reason. Even though they, they have more, Lamech has more offspring than that. These are the ones who, along with Lamech, start a renaissance of the knowledge that Enoch develops. Mm -hmm. Enoch develops a lot of knowledge. And Enoch is taught knowledge as well from the fallen angels. So you have an additional amount of information, but by the time of Lamech's generation and his offspring, they're going to take this to a whole new level of technology and knowledge. I'm doing things that we can't do today, like building the pyramids or Machu Picchu or what have you around the world. So Tubal Cain is, in their understanding, a master metallurgist. And he is a smith, and he is a master craftsman, and he's an adept at that. And Nama, in their uh, way of thinking, not only married and cavorted with giants, but also created a bunch of weaving crafts and things like that. Um, and so 
Tubal-Cain would have introduced the ability to make weapons that is, is Zazel introduced to the world to uh, design weapons, the art of war, how to organize strategy, martial arts, the whole thing. But Tubal-Cain is the one that is leading that from a human perspective. And this is the time of the creation of the, the Nephilim. Jubel is... Uh, accredited with inventing music, which has a whole bunch of crossovers to the other sciences and harmonics and vibrations and things like that, just as he's listed as developing music in, in Genesis. And Jabal, which is J-A-B-A-L, uh, is the one in the Bible who is accredited for, for ranching and tenting and being a bit nomadic and, and bringing about that knowledge, but also credited by the Freemasons for creating the building of, of buildings and architecture and masonry. So the fifth science is geometry, and that's the one they accredit him to, and that's the discipline that masons focus around. Whereas, let's say, Rosicrucians would be more into the alchem alchemical things, chemistry, physics, and things like that in the development. So mm -hmm. these are the patriarchs that... Freemasonry takes their beginnings to because with this knowledge that they're developing it is so powerful that they need to develop a religion and a way of developing it and controlling it. So Enoch develops the mystical sun-worshipping bull cult of the antediluvian uh, epoch and yeah. out of that they set up the mystery schools which is education or science to develop these disciplines, the seven liberal arts as we would have them know today. And arts was known as sciences in the past. That's why they're still called the arts. And this is the knowledge that merges with uh, the angels and merges with the offspring of the angels, the Nephilim who usurped the kingships both before and after the flood and has been with us ever since. And that's why it's important to understand beginning of where masonry through their history and Albert Mackey, if you can get a hold of the book, uh, free, uh, History of Freemasonry, he puts a lot of this down and he was a major patriarch in the 18, middle 1800s, wrote several books. This one doesn't have all of the polychronicon in it, but it has a lot of it. And it, it'll show you the connection between the Canites connection and the development of the sciences and how that goes forward into history into the secret societies. Uh, so, excuse me. Um, so this, uh, I never heard this one before, the Polychronicon. Uh, that's very interesting there. Uh, and, uh, you know, someone asked that's, me once. That, that, mm, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say the Polychronicon is the, ancient oral traditions that was all kept to memory and never written down mm. um, so that they would be kept secret. And so a lot of what's in the Bible is part of their history as well, but then they add a whole bunch to it. Got you, got you. And someone, someone uh, asked me one time, why are all of these comic book heroes so obsessed with metallurgy? But it goes back to these secret sciences. Or, yeah. It does. Well, and you look at the imagery of the magi or the priests or the wizards, right? They're all doing magic. 
right? Mm -hmm. That includes the knowledge that would be able to uh, do that. And so that's connected back to how far these sciences were developed before the flood. Okay. And yeah. that knowledge came from fallen angels. Mm -hmm. And if we look at what they're doing today, they're trying to get us up to speed on that same knowledge. So it'll be like the days of Noah. And right. That's why we're being ramped up. I, I totally agree. I totally agree. Uh, and, um, you know, a speaker, Paul McGuire was like looking into the word um, te techno technology. And when you do the etymology on that word, it goes right back to a craft, uh, magic, you know, and, yes. you know, in these secret societies, science and magic is one of the same. So you'd have to, you know, work that out. But some of these people are given secret knowledge because they pray to these demons or fallen angels, whatever, whatever you want to call them. And here we have it. Yep. Yeah. Well, and that's why they like to call themselves in the secret societies the craft, just mm -hmm. as witchcraft is part of the craft. And the witches and wizards are just priests and priestesses in the Gnostic religion and the development of this illicit knowledge. Right. So and that's why so many witches are Freemasons, because it's the same religion. They're just sort of different sort of branches of the same belief system. It's kind of like different denominations in Christianity, like but they're all part of the same root religion. Right. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, I the one of the things I've been so saying. For years, is that the fraternities and the sororities? I guess we can get into that later. Are they have principalities over them, and none of them are pure, godly, and whatnot? <laughs> Go ahead. Well, no, they're all fallen angels, right? And and or have representatives over every lodge. Over and the higher the the organization, the higher the rank of, of the angels, and so they're going to have not only fallen angels, but they're going to have demons. Now, they're going to call these individuals the celestial great white brotherhood or the celestial masters or spirit guides or aliens or whatever, but it's basically, you know, just members of the hierarchy of the rebellious uh, organization that they're, that they're talking to. And you have to be of a significant level and usually at the recruitment level to be able to communicate with these uh, spirit beings who they receive knowledge and technology and everything uh, going forward, just as the Nazis said the same thing. So their highest yeah. level people would be, would be in communication with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now what, what's interesting mm -hmm. is, is how does this cross the flood, right? Because mm -hmm. the flood would have wiped all of this out. Yeah. So again, Masons have their own history, and it's centered around biblical history. And so what they say is that Enoch developed 36,525 books of all of the knowledge, and that they were stored in nine vaults, stacked one on top of each other, and hidden under the pyramids for the flood that was coming. And then... They have two legends, the legend of Enoch and the legend of Lamech, where two pillars are created, where you have the location of this knowledge put in one with additional knowledge that people are going to require, I guess, immediately after the flood. 
And so what happens is after the flood, a fellow by the name of Hermes or Harmine, uh, that we know as Hermes and part of the Hermes Trismegistus uh, mythos that they have, he finds these two pillars and he mm -hmm. finds the knowledge hidden under the pyramids in Egypt. And he takes this knowledge back to, guess who? Nimrod. Yeah. Babel. Mm -hmm. And they implement the Babel religion, which is the Enochian mysticism that we talked about before the flood that helped parade the antediluvian world into the flood apocalypse and all of the knowledge that, that was written down. So within a hundred years after the flood, you have the building of the Tower of Babel, but we're not told where that knowledge comes from unless they learned it from Noah, which I doubt they would have because Noah wouldn't want to have everything happen the same as what happened before the flood. So where do they get this knowledge from? Well, okay. from Hermes is what the Masons say. And we get a hint of this knowledge out of the Babel story where we're told in the Bible that working as one people with one language, nothing they intend to do, they'll be prevented from doing. They'll develop this knowledge is basically yeah. the paraphrase of what's being said. And with that knowledge, they build Babel City and Babel Tower because masonry and the building of, of uh, temples and things like that was how they honored their pantheon of gods, mm -hmm. which was one of the four things they liked to do with the knowledge that they developed. Uh, you know, other ones basically were, you know, leading people away from God and degrading God and not giving God credit for anything. And so you have this antediluvian re religion, you have this knowledge being re-implemented at Babel, somehow Nimrod becomes a mighty one or gibbering, probably by implication from this knowledge, because he's the son of Cush, he's not the offspring of a fallen angel, he's got a male parent. Um, and you have Nimrod who trains a thousand masons in the craft to make this happen. Okay. And God looks down and says, you know, I'm going to disperse the people. I'm going to give them different languages because what they're going to do is going to have a very quick repeat of what happened before the flood. Now, Nimrod in Masonic lore and Masonic legends, and they have legends on, the, on what's called the legend of Babel, the legend of Nimrod and a few other ones centered around it. He's considered the first grand master of masonry after the flood uh -huh. and he writes the first constitution okay so he is a major patriarch of masonry so and i only talk about all of this is so that people understand how old the religion how old the organization is whether or not all of it is true or not that's not the point the point is is they believe that and it's what they're right. doing with that information that's important. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting how they follow biblical history, but just have their additional information they overlay on it. It's like the, the Gnostic, right? It is. It is or the Gnostic. Uh, and the religion of the Sikhs, pardon me? No, no, I was going to say also um, there's some stuff in there that matches the Kabbalah as well. Yes. Well, and because it's the same root of the religion. So if you look at what happens after Babel, 
according to masonry, is that Hermes follows with Mizram and Ham and goes to Egypt and sets up one of the pillars of mystical religions after the flood, which will become the home of that knowledge after some time at Heliopolis, where Moses was uh, educated and before uh, converting back to monotheism. And Nimrod stays in Shinar, which is a transliteration for Sumer. And it's uh, continued to develop by Nimrod after Abel who develops the, uh, the, the Magi who are the priests of that religion and develops the knowledge. So you have those two are the pillars of that religion after the flood and Nimrod is also going to be intermarrying with giants at that point going forward and creating his own sort of bloodline hybrid dynasties with, with the Raphaim. So you have that beginning of the religions after the flood that becomes the religion that the southern kingdom of Judah, when they're taken into exile over to Babylon, this is what they're going to be immersed in while in exile. Uh, and they're taken there by Nebuchadnezzar. And that is the start of Kabbalism. And then they bring that back, and that's why you have Lilith being overlaid, which is Sumerian, yeah. um, and, and all of the Kabbalist ideas. But it's just a sister religion to what was already being practiced in the northern and the southern kingdom from some time after uh, Moses died. And these are the Essenes, which is the third group of the religious structure of ancient Judaism in Israel, where you have the Pharisees that were told of in Jesus' time, you have mm -hmm. the Sadducees, and then right. you have the Essenes. And the Essenes right. believe they have the original religion of Heliopolis that they say Moses originally brought with them, but during the age of the monarchy, the kings set up in Israel uh, a monotheist religion that went rogue. And that's where monotheism comes from. Yeah. And so Kabbalism works well with, with uh, the Essenes because even though they're a different sort of sect within that Gnostic poly, uh, polytheist knowledge cult, they're just sister religions, right? They all believe in the same thing. They have the same history in the same pantheon, and it's just different parts of the same polytheist religion. And which yeah. is really important because as you come down through history, you have this ascetic, ascetic order which is the, what the secret societies will say is in part, part of their modern organizational structure and it's the same structure that is set up within the Catholic Church, within the Roman Church when it forms with the monastic orders. And most notably would be uh, the Jesuits in the modern time, but uh, groups like uh, the Calabrian monks and the Cistercian monks who worked with forming the Knights Templar with royal first sons of kings from Europe, particularly with de Bouillon, Godfrey de Bouillon, Hugh de Payan, mm. and, and Anjou. And I can't remember his first name. I think it was Folk de Anjou. 
And there's a fourth one, which isn't generally listed, but it is in their records, which is a Henry St. Clair, which is an ancestor of the St. Clairs that are going to uh, start Freemasonry down the road. And the St. Clairs come from the Rollo bloodline and the offspring of the gods, as they believe, from the Swedish uh, Norse pantheon, which intermarries with the families that moved out, out of Europe after the Jerusalem was destroyed, that have control of the monarchies in Europe. And I'm not promoting uh, Jewish conspiracy theories. I'm just I'm right. just giving you sort of, sort of the history. But they take, particularly Anjou, de Bouillon, and de Payon, they have a bloodline that goes back to the last survivor of the Merovingians, a fellow by the name of Dagobert. Okay. And mm. so this is the group, and other people that are in there uh, are either going to be, there's two Cistercian monks, and the rest are all royal families. But the, the leaders of the of the monastic orders are all bloodlines because all aspects of the church in terms of those orders, these are those second, third, fourth, fifth, you know, down the line in terms of, of sons on that, that are going to be looking after different parts of it. So St. Bernard is going to be related to a number of these family members of the, uh, I mean, of the founding members of the, uh, Knights Templar. Yeah. And it's the Knights Templar, which is the founding group that will be taken apart in 1307 and then split after that all into all the modern organizations that we know today so that everything isn't centered in one organization. Hey. Well, this is... Uh... Nice little trail that we're on here. <laughs> I hope you take some notes. Uh, as you see here, I'm, I'm showing the Merovingian from the Matrix movie. The Matrix movie, <coughs> sorry, was pretty much a Gnostic tale. And Neo yes. is a depiction of the Antichrist and um, the AI. Uh, was it, what was his name? What's the AI that was just hunting him down all the time? Uh, Smith, Agent Smith. He's a uh, picture. Smith, he's a pic Smith, yes. Yeah. He's a picture of Jesus, actually. So the whole tale within the Matrix is not what you think, and you're continually rooting for a picture of the Antichrist. <laughs> yes, yes. And what they believe, uh, you know, in that allegory that they're telling, and they're sort of reversing the roles, which they always do, uh, so that it's... Uh, acceptable, but people know that inverse relationship that they're doing within the yeah. craft they do. And yeah. they believe that humankind is trapped within ignorance and forced to worship and provide their energy to the evil God of the Bible. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> and so in the programs in this inverse relationship, they would be the fallen angels that are enforcing this, even though they might use uh, some of their prehistory names in there. And all the names in there have a connection to uh, their, their history. So, you know, you have like the architect, for example, which is the great architect 
of the universe, which is what the Freemasons worship. They call them yeah. that and, and or Lucifer. You have the Merovingians, which is a very important and noble bloodline. So they do sort of that inverse relationship. And that the world is a projection. Is what uh, Gnostics okay. believe. Oh, see. So and that's so that. Yeah, I was just thinking that's where we're getting this thing that um, pretty much the the, the world we live in now is a projected reality. It's not real. Matter isn't real and all this yeah. other stuff. Right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Got you. And that and that we're enslaved and we're enslaved by by the God of the Bible. And that's yeah. that's the story that they're telling. And uh, so uh, it's it's interesting how all of our literature is done. Dominated, and I think we talked about this in, in, in a few shows, and I'm sure you've covered it off in detail, but mm -hmm. everything about our literature and entertainment, for the most part, is their history, their belief system, and their genealogies that's in, encoded in it. So, you know, like Morpheus is, is part of the Greek uh, gods of sleep, right? And there's, these, there's siblings that are involved on it as well, but that's what the people are doing. Right, they would end in, and so they have the people actually living in a dreamland. That's a projection. So and that's where that name comes from. Uh, and then Neo yeah. is part of the, yeah, right. You know, so all the names, you know, like Trinity. You know, she is yeah. the female part of the Trinity of the, and in their belief system, it would be Osiris, Isis, and Horus. Right, and she would be the Isis figure. She's, and she's the one who falls in love with the Antichrist. So, what they're telling you is, is that. When Antichrist comes about, he's going to have a wife, right? Yeah. Whereas Jesus didn't have a wife, so. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, fa it's fascinating stuff. Uh, and, you know, this movie made, it made a lot of mo money, man. Um, and, they're, and they're actually remaking well, it. So not yeah. Well, it's very entertaining. But, uh, I, you know, I, I love to watch you know, a lot of their entertainment because they're, they're good writers and read their yeah. stuff because I'm looking for, you know, I don't know everything that they've embedded in there, but I can pick up enough to at least I know what they're, what they're telling us all of the times. So, yeah. And of course you have that duality that's put into it where, I mean, this thing happens over and over and over and over. So it's that perpetual good versus evil where nobody ever really wins. Yeah. And that that brings us to this not to not to stray off in the movies too much, but um, you have the Transformers, where um, obviously they fall from heaven, and we have two two sects. One we have Optimus Prime, and we have Megatron on the other side. And Megatron sounds a lot like Metatron, right? From Gnostic belief. Yes. And it, when you start to peel back the layers yes. of the story, even though I love Transformers, this is like my <laughs> childhood thing, right? But what you start to see is yep. that Optimus Prime is not the good guy. Megatron is. Yep. <laughs> yep. So uh, it's very interesting stuff, man. But yeah, keep going. Yeah. And Metatron is the uh, name that is given to Enoch in the third book of Enoch, which is, you know, very either written by. Enoch the evil, or it's so corrupted because it has so many things that are non-biblical in it, but that's the name Enoch takes uh, as he uh, is evolved, vibrated, somehow raised to godhood as an angel 
almost equivalent to the son of man that Jesus is, as, as talked about in third Enoch. And Enoch is the one who is in charge of all of this knowledge and development, right? And he's the one that's heavily involved in um, knowledge being passed on to people developing AI and quantum computing and things like that. So just, again, these connections just happen over and over and over and over if, if you understand the allegories and the imagery and the names and the things that they're doing. Right, right. Um, so where do you want to take us next? Because my mind is full of movies now that we're talking about it. I don't want to keep going off into movies. <laughs> well, I thought I would tell people sort of what happens with the Knights Templar because the Templars um, were created by, uh, you know, 10 founding members. There's 12 in, in the sort of hidden history that the Masons have. But if we look at, you know, and uh, Saint Bernard, who writes the first, writes the Constitution for the Knights Templar, and gives them this Red Cross, which is another symbolism of secret societies that go back into history that they get donned with, just as sister organizations like the uh, Knights of Saint John will have a white cross and a black cross for uh, the Teutonic Knights. And there's several other orders that are created, but this is the red one that goes back into the sort of the building nature and back to the time of Solomon and the building of the temple and their belief system. So just, he's the one who uh, writes a letter that promotes them and gets them their papal bull at the Council of Troy in 1028. And St. Bernard, uh, uncle was uh, Montabard, who is Andre Montabard, who was one of the founding members. And he worked for the Champagne family in service of. And so he has several connections to uh, the uh, Knights Templar. And in fact, St. Bernard comes out of the Montabard family. And he's the leader of the Cistercians. So when I talked about how those bloodlines work within the monastic orders and within uh, the church and the religions, understand that that whole elite status control every aspect with their various levels of their bloodline. So in 1307, they're dismantled between the King of France and the Roman Church for uh, self-motivated uh, reasons, one for money, one for power and they're disassembled. Mm. Just before that, in about 1188, you had an event called the Cutting of the Elms. Okay. And the Cutting of the Elms happened at Geezer's Castle, which is part of the Rex Deus Blue Lines, or Rex Deus Bloodlines, the Black Nobility. And they are also grandmasters going forward of the, the Geezer family of the Priory of Sion that we get uh, information on as being another secret organization. And this is the organization that was at the center or the adept level of the Royal Masons that developed the Templars. And I've got, if people want uh, to get a hold of me, I've got some documentation for the veracity and the history as they're recorded of the Priory of Sion, both in Masonic records, Roman Catholic history, that this organization was around uh, at that development. But what happens in 1187 is Jerusalem falls. 
right? So, and what the inner core is saying is that the Knights Templar lost their way and that they lost Jerusalem. So they split away and they don't not there to defend them well, let me know. when, when uh, the uh, French king and the Roman church take them apart. But they developed the Rosicrucians thereafter. And the Rosicrucians uh, will start to show up uh, after the fall as part of the invisible ones that are, I'm not sure whether uh, Chris is still there. I'm hoping I'm still alive. It looks like I'm still on. Uh, so I'm going to continue. And you have the invisible ones that are going to meet with the Roman church to try and restart this group, but uh, it, it doesn't happen. The Roman church wants too much control. Uh, and I'm talking about the Knights Templar. So they're going to develop other organizations after that. But the Rosicrucians are the first main one. And starting in about 1400, they're actually going to form the Ordo Draconis or the Sarkani Rond, who are going to start to replace thrones on the continent that they've lost so that they can continue the pursuits of Thoth. And this is thought to be one of the main proponents and start of the Renaissance. And so they're trying to put their bloodlines back on the throne. And then you have the Rosicrucians who are going to be, as I said, they're going to end up sort of being this middle group and the higher groups, which was the Committee of 300, the Council of 33, and the 13 families above them, there are purebloods, and then rising up from lower groups in terms of developing the knowledge and the secret societies will be at the bottom half of that group. So they're going to develop and sponsor from that point on, they're going to develop Freemasonry, which is established by the Rosy Cross Order that Robert the Bruce establishes in in Scotland in the 1320s and uh, by the order that of the invisible ones that are still in France at that time and then they're going to uh, from the Freemasonry or I mean the Rosicrucians that are in um, and the Knights Templar that are in Scotland they're going to work with the St. Clairs who are the St. Clairs uh, to develop Freemasonry with uh, the Knights Templar there as the adepts of that and that is a group that's designed to, con not to control, but to influence uh, politics um, mainly. And uh, one of the key organizations moving forward at the bottom of, of the tree that we talked about. Now, you also have a, a few other groups that are going to be set up. We have the Rosicrucians and we have the Freemasons. They're going to need to set up the banking arm as well. And the banking arm is outside the church that they're going to set up because the Templars were the wealthiest group ever to sort of exist in terms of a society, at least to that date, because they invented modern banking and they loaned money to all of the royal families to fund wars and to fund the crusades and things like that. And modern banking owes its roots to the Knights Templar. And so they're going to set up uh, the Rothschilds, uh, who are the Bauer family out of Germany, who become wealthy through this process as that banking arm outside the church. They're also going to set up uh, the Jesuits 
beginning in the 1500s uh, to get control of the banking inside of the church and get control of the education system with the uh, get control of the with the Jesuits and the Jesuits are, are going to be called the new Templars in the craft and they're 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 going to have this takeover they're going to sponsor the founder of the founder of the Jesuits Loyola and then they're going to by the time of 1570 there's going to be a Montessa order um, which is run by a fellow by the name of Borgia who's part of the Pope bloodline uh, and this is a royal order He's actually going to become the third member of the Jesuits by 1570. And what they're going to do is get control of the seminaries and they're going to get control of the banking. And that happens very, very quickly uh, thereafter. And so that is set up within the church. And the Royal Society is set up. Still not sure where, where Chris is. I'm hoping he's going to be back pretty soon. Um, but I'm going to continue and hopefully that I'm still being on live. Uh, and they're going to set up the Royal Society. And that's going to be set up again by Rosicrucians and Freemasonry. And the Royal Society is the set up of modern sciences where they're going to continue with the development of the seven sciences with, that come out of prehistory that we talked about previously. And this is the organization that all of science still reports to today and of course science is taught through the education system that they are that they were set up to develop so in behind the curtain of all the science is this polytheist control and they've been able to get control of both the education within the church and the education outside the church to implement their philosophy and we see that you know in spades today we also have uh, and I think Chris is starting to connect back in again. We have them back. We also have uh, the, the teachings within the church that has control of the seminary schools and the teaching of education by the Jesuits ever since they were restarted in the, in the Catholic Church. And of course, they're reporting back into either the Committee of 300 um, probably through there, but some people think through the Rosicrucians. And the reason why I say that is because the black nobility is these royal bloodlines that also have their offspring within those within the orders, within the background of, of the church to run it. And they would be probably part of the Committee of 300. So that's why I think it's probably a little, you know, connects in a touch higher. But either way, they're connecting back into that tree. So what you can see is this complete web of organizations that are all Gnostics, right? That's why when you have Gnosticism at the core of the secret societies, this is the religion that is going back to Babel. This is the religion of Enochian mysticism. This is the knowledge cult that is being developed for the end time and this is this is the religion that is was the one who sponsored theosophy which is the parent of the new age movement yeah. which is designed to be the religion of the end time which was designed to be the bridge between science 
and religion, so to bring it back and openly under the fold for the universal religion, which is Babylon, which goes back to Babel that we talked about and Enochian mysticism from before the flood. So again, you need to understand uh, to sort of wrap it up and uh, let Chris back in here is you need to understand all of the players and how they fit in if you're going to have a clear understanding of what has happened, what is going on today, and what will happen. Yes, uh, good stuff. <laughs> I got kicked off there for a second. Uh, so, you know, you're explaining, you know, the Blavatsky's and the Crowley's and whatnot, all these people that came up in, in the Age of Enlightenment, um, postmodernism, modernism around that time, they influenced our, our, our culture now, obviously, because the New Age is here. Um, it's, it's in the comic books, it's in the movies, it's in your literature, it's in the young teen novel, it's everywhere. <laughs> so, um, yes. <laughs> uh, you got to know the players, people. You have to know the players in order to get the whole system, you know, in order for you to get what's coming next, you know? So, um, right. Yeah. And, and you know, yeah. you look at the night. Now, go ahead. Every, every organization has their, every organization has their agenda. Uh, and directionally, that agenda is working um, in harmony with the other groups. But there's always power plays going on, and there's always bumps and grinds going on. It's yeah. not always good, but directionally, they're all headed in the section. At the end, they all want to be the most powerful organization and the most powerful family, but they do want to bring about the end time, uh, and, and all directionally working in, in the same direction. So, as I said before, the, the Rothschilds were created to get control of the banking as what the Jesuits were. So that's their agenda. And the Jesuits need to get control of the Roman Church because they need to bring about Babylon on the seven hills. And Babylon, in Greek, as you take that back, is an allegory for Rome. So I think definitely uh, and it's also a city, Babylon, right? And it's said like, you know, eight or nine times in Revelation 17 and 18 that it's a city. So it's a city, it's a religion, and it's a powerful broker of bringing about the uh, Ten King Empire. So it, the Ten King Empire requires the universal religion to be put in place. Now, sort of linking this kind of back in terms to the Jesuits, if you go back to the order of the Templars, they had... Uh, the secret rule of the order that they put down is kind of their constitution. And in Article 14 and 18 of the secret rule, in the baptism of fire and the secret set down by Master Rondelin, and there's only two copies of that left in the world that's, that we are at least on public display, it says that only the adepts understood New Babylon was the true Templar agenda. And so the new Templars, which are the Jesuits, were installed to bring about Babylon for the end time. So Ignatius of Loyola, as the founder of the uh, Jesuits, who is funded by the Montessa order that I talked about earlier, which is a royal Masonic order, and also was in control of the Templar assets and awarded control of those assets in Spain, just as there was in several countries, those assets went into the royal Mason houses. 
Um, you had him sponsoring Loyola and then getting control of, of the Jesuits. But Loyola has a vision of Mary. So Mary apparitions are always part of their belief system, which is an allegory for Isis and Astart and all of the mother goddesses. So expect yeah. that to come back as part of the religion in the end time. But he's drafted to um, get the Roman church back to what they believe to be their true belief system. And the Jesuits, guided by the Mary apparition, controlled by the Masonic order, starting with uh, Borgia in 1570, who was the funder of Loyola to get started. He is uh, guided by their philosophy in terms of how they interpret the Bible. And you're going to love this. They, they, their philosophy is interpret the Bible through the seven sacred sciences. Uh, so what they're teaching and what they're planning is not monotheistic. Right. Yeah. And, and um, for people that don't know, this also goes into, um, you'll see um, some of the black um, people, they say, oh, we're the, the Jewish this and Jesus was black. That really goes back to ISIS. Uh, give me a second here to pull this up. The black Madonna. Um, yeah, and you'll you'll see the sim if if you're already familiar with this, you'll see the symbolism right away. Um, there we go. Yep, yep. So here we go. Yeah, the Black Madonna. Yep. Yeah. But this isn't. This is just again Isis, um, Samaramis, all the names you could you could you know Queen of Heaven. That's that's also in the Bible. Um, so. Yep. So if you hear this, if you hear that out there that Jesus was black, this is where they're getting it from. <laughs> okay, so uh, don't get fooled by that. Go ahead, <laughs> sir. Yeah, and there's and and there's these things are put out there lead people away from scripture, right? To lead people away from God and to reinterpret and be open to ideas that normally you wouldn't be open. So don't let them play on on your. Um, I guess biases, and everybody has biases. You need to you need to be able to be you know objective. And you know when northern Israel was dispersed, they were dispersed to the four corners of the world, mm -hmm. and yeah. so they're amongst all the nations. And when they awaken in the end time, they're going to be of every color because they will have yeah. intermarried within those mm -hmm. nations. Yeah. So uh, Christianity is not about color. It's about right. the spirit, which is not physical and, and not about color. So don't, I mean, don't get, please don't get trapped down on whether or not, whatever race that you're part of, just, it's not about that in, in, in any way. And everybody is equal before God and before Jesus. And it's about the salvation of those who have faith in Jesus and God. So be careful about misinformation out there. And make sure you measure everything against what is said or written against what's written in the Bible and not against what people are manipulating scripture to say. And so right. you have to do your own work and your own research to, um, so whether or not it's Gnostics or different factions of Christianity, I end up, I end up in a lot of times getting into conversations, whether it's social media, wherever, and pointing out how they're manipulating scripture out of context and out of meaning 
Um, and, you know, they're always interesting arguments, but when, when no, it doesn't sound right, they're probably manipulating scripture. Yes, absolutely. Um, if you guys got any questions, I, I saw a couple of questions earlier, but uh, I got kicked off. So I'm going to try to scroll back and see if the questions are, if maybe he already answered that question in his talk. And uh, if, so I'll skip a question if it's not really needed to be answered because we already, he already said it. So, um, yeah, so where, where else you want to go um, with this? Well, you know, I also get asked a lot of times, so if it's all about the bloodlines and they're controlling the secret societies, you know, who are who are some of the names to maybe keep in mind? And so there are ones that we do to keep in mind because they have an agenda of the King of Jerusalem title. And the King of Jerusalem title is a crown that was crowned on Baldwin II in a small priory in Jerusalem or in Sion. Mm -hmm. And he is the third leader of the, in very short order, because the Nice Templar found in about 1090 to 1099. So you have de Bullion, Baldwin the first, and then Baldwin the second. And it's all part of the same families. And he, he's crowned King Jerusalem. And this is a title that went down through the Lorraine region, which the Anjou, de Payan, and de Bullion were part of. Uh, where their uh, kingdoms were, uh, and held the King of Jerusalem title. It's also was passed on later to the Habsburg Lorraine dynasty, uh, with the Lorraine bloodlines marrying into the Habsburgs with the King of Jerusalem title. And then in the last hundred years or so, passed over to Spain with the Bourbon dynasty. Um, who uh, current uh, king is King Philippe, and his father, Juan Carlos, had the King of Jerusalem title before that. This, this is the title that they plan for their bloodlines to crown themselves with as the true King of Jerusalem at the abomination uh, in the end time. So keep an eye on them as one of the families, and where they get that from is that within that grafting of the bloodlines that I talked about earlier, you have the Benjamite bloodline of King Saul that they have grafted into the Merovingian bloodline, as well as King David, and of course, for sure, which is false, the bloodline of Jesus and Mary Magdalene. Um, but that's a different rabbit trail. But stay focused on the Benjamite uh, bloodline that's important to the King of Jerusalem title. And again, understand they need to, in their hierarchy, they want to ennoble all the important bloodlines, right? Because that puts them higher up on that cult uh, positioning in terms of their cult and culture. So back in the time of Joshua, back in the time of the Exodus, uh, at the awarding of the territories, Jerusalem was rewarded to Benjamin which David later takes Jerusalem down the road, which is why they would they want both of those bloodlines grafted in. And because yeah. they believe they have those Sion bloodlines, along with the Nephilim and Rephilim bloodlines, they have the right as the divine representatives on earth with the divine right to rule from the fallen angels to have that Jerusalem, king of Jerusalem title as part of their inheritance. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So when you watch that movie, The Kingdom of Heaven, that came out 10 or 15 years ago, they're talking about these major players. They're not always perfectly positioned, but those same families have been sort of positioning with that King of Jerusalem title down the road. So you have three different factions of that King of Jerusalem title. You have, and I'm trying to make sure I pronounce it right from memory, Lusignan, which is the knight in the kingdom of heaven who dies but has that son who marries into the king of Jerusalem title. That's a king of Cyprus. And that's the title that will uh, intermarry down the road to the Italian Savoy family of the black nobility, which is part of one branch of that king of Jerusalem title. And then you have two factions of that Anjou title, which fight over the king of Jerusalem title. But the official one, or at least the most prominent one, is um, currently with King Philip of the Bourbon family, who got it from the, from the Habsburgs. But you've got other bloodline members in there that people should be aware of, and we don't know who they're going to try and present Antichrist from. And we don't even know whether or not they will be successful at it. But this, these are what the Western families are doing. So, you know, I'd be aware of the Plantagenet family, which all the presidents have a bloodline that goes back to the Plantagenet of King, uh, King John, the Magna Carta, and King Richard. Um, well, that's the Anjou bloodline. That's an offshoot of the Anjou bloodline. Uh, the Habsburgs obviously intermarried with the Anjou of Lorraine, uh, have part of that bloodline plus another bloodline. The Sinclairs are the St. Clairs who go back to uh, Norway and also intermarried with the Rexdeus bloodlines. And that's the bloodline that's also intermixed as part of that wider family into the Stuart clan from the Debrusus and a whole bunch of other signs. So watch out for bloodline families of the Stuarts. Obviously, you have the Windsors who have part of that bloodline as well, intermarried with the Stuarts, and also have the German Hanover and uh, Eastern European bloodlines that are intermixed and are who a lot of people think might present Antichrist. We don't know who it's going to be, and that's the Windsors as we understand it today. But you also have the Champagne family to be aware of. Uh, you also would have the Geezer family, Jean Val, Bian, and St. Clair de But those are basically the, what, the main ones. And then from Italy, we, you might want to keep uh, an eye on are the Orsini, uh, who take their bloodlines back to the uh, Roman Caesars and empires and Senate, and then back to the gods, and also the Medici family, which was sort of intermarried. I'm not as much focused on the Medici. And then there's a few other ones in Italy as well. But we, the point of the matter is, is that there's too many to be pointing yeah. directly this one or that one. They're all competing for it, right? And there can only be one, just as in uh, the Highlander series. So we, right. we want to be careful of that. Yeah, um, and uh, here's somebody. and and here's another reason. Here's another reason, and then I'll answer. If you got a question, I'll answer it. Why we want to be focused on the bloodline. So when we look at the metallic dynasties of the empire that's coming, that's talked about in Daniel two, or the yeah. beast empires of Daniel seven, or a later version which is coming out of the Greek in Daniel eight, which are all represented in the beast. Uh, that rises out of the sea in, Re in Revelation 13 and 17. Go back to Daniel 2 with the metallic dynasties and the notion that these dynasties are all Raphaim dynasties after the flood that take over all of the kingships. 
And this is what's going to be coming is that either Nephilim, Rephaim run, or bloodline descendants that are going to be uh, running those kingships in the end time. And then look at Daniel 2.43, which where the Talic dynasty's prophecy is done. And it says, you know, as iron is mixed with clay, you know, two different mm -hmm. elements, and clay being possibly humans, it says in verse 43, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men. And yes. And we're not quite sure what that means. Right. Whether or not it is part of it as being the two uh, feet of five kings on each, one being perhaps purebred Rephaim or descendants of Rephaim, and one maybe being lower bloodlines or strong men that rise up in the end time to control that ten empire. But for whatever happens is, is that some of these are going to mix their seed with humans. Right. And that suggests pure blood Raphaim of some that are going to do that. Yeah, because I, I mean, in my eyes, it's quite clear they're not human. Um, it says they will mingle themselves with the seed with the seed of men. Uh, so clearly, you know, I mean, some translations going to have it seem like it's some sort of nation against nation type of thing. Um, I, I just don't see it. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So important stuff there. Um, well, and, and, and when you take when you take it back to when well, I was going to say when you take it back to Hebrew, it's very very clear that it's not different types of nations. That specific. I yeah. mean, those nations may not mix well, but that is very personal, and it's a commingling and a sexual relationship of some sort for you know, repopulating, right? Right, yes. Um, somebody said, I want to clear this up a little bit here. Somebody said uh, the true facts implants with human DNA. Um, that can be a source, but it's not the, the ultimate source because there's so much tech out there, and that's why we do the show Reign of the Tech. There's so much tech out there that most of you haven't, guys haven't heard of. And it's it's a lot of DNA manipulation going on right now today, not 100 years from now. Today, that um, the world is going to look totally different within the next 20, 30 years. But it's not going to be the incremental steps that we've seen over the last 50 years. It's going to be a, a, like a like a rocket ship. Yeah. Okay, so um, just just to clear that up a little bit there. Um, uh, let me see here. Do you happen to know who Trump and Kushner came out of? Okay, so uh, Brent Ward is asking, do you happen to know who Trump and Kushner came out of? Yeah, no, I don't. Uh, I, I've done a little bit on Trump. I don't see a whole lot in there. I think he's more of that new money class. Um, and he may be one of those strong men that I was just sort of talking about or wanted to be um, and for his family probably because he's getting a little bit up there in age. Uh, so, but, you know, when you look at who Antichrist is going to be, he pro probably have some sort of Israelite bloodline, and particularly Davidic bloodline, for the Jewish people to accept him as Antichrist, because he's going to permit them to have the sacrifice on the temple. So you're going to need a universal religion to have that happen. Uh, which is why I say you have the universal religion first. And to accept them as being their Messiah, right? 
or at least a rising Messiah until he's crowned. And then they recognize, him, you know, at the midpoint that, hey, wait a minute, that's wrong. That's the abomination. And then they flee. That's at yeah. the midpoint. So I think for that covenant to be established with Israel, that he's going to have to have some sort of Davidic bloodlines. Uh, and I think that's why the uh, Rex Deus uh, bloodlines or Rex Du bloodlines have scioned all of those bloods in there. So any one of the representatives might be able to point this back. But I don't think he's going to be quite that overtly because the rest of the world will find that difficult to accept. Yeah. Another tidbit to add to what you're saying there is um, the, the Jewish people are, they, what they pretty much want at, when they build a temple is for Jerusalem to become the center point of religion on the planet, period. And so yes. when this, yes. new, this whole new, like you're pointing out, um, one world religion happens, they, you know, it, it's, it's a serious thing. They're very serious about it, okay? And you go look up all the stuff that they have uh, pretty much prepared for the for the um, the new temple. It's already ready. The go ahead. And so we're we're close to that time. Uh, we don't know how much time after they build a temple, you know, all the stuff happens in the tribulation and whatnot. But they're pretty close to building the temple. We don't even know. Uh, that, again, it it could be around for you know x amount of time, ten years, five years. We don't know. Uh, yeah. But it's right at the door. Um, let me see here. Well, and we, they don't have to build a whole new temple either. Mm -hmm. They don't have to build a whole new temple. So in Daniel, the temple is built on an overspreading, which is an extremity or a wing. So they just have to build a wing on the, on their current temple. And according to Josephus, the uh, the original place of the Holy of Holies was a little bit further uh, away from where the mosque today and a little bit more closer to, I guess, the foot where you go down into the valley down there. So uh, there's going to be, I think, probably an addition put onto that temple. But they're going to have to build something onto it by the looks of it because the wording of overspreading and taking that back and meaning a wing or an extremity of the temple suggests it's not a whole new temple. Yeah. Uh, let me see. I'm trying to find you another uh, question here. Someone was asking something about a queen earlier when you were talking about the England stuff. Uh, let me see here. Da, 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 da. Something. I think it was MT Cali that was asking that question. Uh, Almost there, almost there, almost there. Okay, so she said, so this was after Mary, Queen of Scots, had her head removed from her body. I, I don't know where it connects. It would connect to something, something you said earlier. I don't know if you, something had to, <laughs> you're saying something. Um, what else? I'm trying to think, think how that question would relate with Mary, Queen of Scots. Um, Um, and MT, if you know why you asked that question, just go ahead and put it down there so we can get a connection here. Um, so, uh, yeah, so one of the important parts as we start to wrap in a few minutes is 
the, the fraternities and the sororities, I really want people to understand that they are not good to, you know, it, it seems like a social club and you get, you know, some accolades, whatnot, but there are principalities over these sororities and fraternities. You can't go without it. That's, that's just how the system is set up, especially, sure. you know, when you come to the boule and all the other things. Go ahead. Well, and again, you look at, you know, the universities that have these sororities, those are initiatory groups in on the campus, right? So anything that's initiatory, you need to get your red flag up. And they're basically based on sort of a Greek sort of imagery, and all the buildings are in that Greek sort of architecture. And this is the development of a secret society within an education center, which is like, um, when you understand the education action to religion, it's like a mystery school within a religion. And the education delivers degrees, which is the same term that's used in the development of knowledge in secret societies and then the mystical religions. And then you have this ritual of, of graduating um, and being awarded into that level of degree, everything about that is polytheist imagery from the gowns to the ceremonies to the scrolls to everything that's associated with education. And when you understand who created the education, which is the Royal Society, uh, which is founded by the Rosicrucians and the Freemasons, and it was designed to get control of education outside the church, which they later got control within the church with the Jesuits. It is designed to develop the seven sacred sciences, which were designed to, in the time of Enoch, Enoch son of Cain, to lead people away from God, to mm -hmm. not honor God for anything, to degrade yeah. God, and to build monuments to honor their pantheon of gods and you understand that the architecture of government buildings and university buildings are the architecture of the temples that they worship the gods in Greece under. And then you have these initiatory organizations called sororities and things like that. You just yeah. have to connect the dots and say, yeah. hey, I, I better not be part of that. I mean, yeah. there's nothing wrong with getting knowledge. It's how it's used, but don't be part of rituals. Yeah, and you know, there's a, a popular dance that came out a couple of years ago. This, where you see dab on it, right? That Okay, so when you see mm -hmm. the steppers, the steppers are actually trying to call in the spirits when they go do all that stepping and whatnot, and dabbing was a part of that stuff. And yeah. somebody put that and yeah. made it a pop dance, but most people don't know that. <laughs> so, yeah. I, you know, oh my gosh, it's a and, you know, <laughs> even this, too, even this came from there. Yeah. You know, uh, it means something. Um, yeah, it's, it's just peppered throughout our society. Um, and again, most people don't know, like just like here, this hand sign. It's you know, it's the horn of what Mendez or something like that. Um, the uh, yeah. Satan's horns or whatnot, and you know, people do it. A lot of people do it, and yep. they don't know yep. what it's really about. But uh, they, don't, they don't know why they're doing it. Yeah, yeah. And exactly. you see so many politicians.
Christians using that sign. And yeah, and again, these signs come out of the secret societies and secret religions, and that's how they would recognize just like a particular type of handshake. They have all of these taciturn ways of communicating um, that you have to understand that it was invented to communicate secret information that is rooted in polytheism. Uh, and everything that they do, whether or not it's building, it's taciturn stories in stone of their history, of the gods they worship, and their genealogies. Yes. Um, one person has a question, but I think the question is for me, or maybe for you too. It's they say basically they're referring to the dances. Now the dances, dancing and stuff, that's a whole nother show. Um, but there are a lot of dances that are rooted in witchcraft, voodoo, and, and whatnot. And when we bring it into our society, we don't even know. Um, and some people actually do these dances in some of these um, hip hop associated uh, parties. And they, they know that what they're doing is ushering a spirit in. Most people around them don't know that, but some of them do. Um, what's, what's your uh, add on to that before we, we finish? Well, again, I mean, it's, it's what is the dance about, right? Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with dancing. I mean, we get right. uh, verses in the Bible about, you know, you know, in the time of David, people are dancing. But one is honoring the God of the Bible in celebration. And the other one is a ritual to honor the pantheon of gods. So be careful what you're doing, right? That's... All, all I'm saying is that because they caught, they counterfeit everything, and that's how they lead people away. There's just very deceptive, and you know things like there's nothing wrong with doing stretches and doing yoga, but if you're doing yoga in a context of whatever music and whatever chanting or whatever else is going on, that's now part of a ritual that's designed to put you in contact with the spirit realm. Yeah. That's not good. <laughs> Don't participate in rituals. Yeah, and, and I've done a, a lot of videos talking about yoga. You can go back and search it. it there, it's all the, even Pilates. That's a form of yoga, and I, I break it down so you can understand it. So, again, that's another another show. Um, but um, I don't see any more questions here. Um, so, thank you for joining us, uh, people. And Gary, thanks for coming and spending some time with us here, and um, bringing some clarity cool. to this. Secret society and and listen, guys. There's uh, we went uh, you know over an hour and a half, and this is just the tip of the iceberg, you know. So if you're yep. interested interested in these subjects, search it out, and um, you will find a, a lot more interesting things there. It's it, it's so it's one of those subjects that you don't hit a bottom. <laughs> so yeah, no, yeah. you don't. <laughs> so um, thank There's you. There's always me. another rabbit hole to go down. Well, thank you for having okay. me. Yes, sir. And everybody out there, remember, use this information, start conversations, preach the gospel, and don't let them burn.